Welcome to the second episode of the limited series, Trapped in a Culture. I am your host, Layla Wills. This series contains adult content and graphic language, and it's not intended for all audiences. Africa Bambata has denied all allegations of child sexual abuse and the sexual abuse of minors. To protect their anonymity, the voices of some people interviewed were altered at their request. Voice identification is at the end of this episode and also in the description. formulated through a, a bunch of DJs. There was a cool herc and there was a there was a flash. There was Vampata. There was DJs before them. Like me myself. And it was Mario. You had other people like Breakout. People like the L brothers. You had other people like AJ. These people put hip hop on the map. Herc had the music, he did his music thing, you can't take anything from him on that. Then Vata had the records, I had the crossfade mixer, and they couldn't do all the technical stuff they did if they didn't see me having that, or the crossfade mixer never came out. So with the crossfade mixer and Herc music and, and Ben Vata's records, you know, everything came together as one, and then it exploded. And then the rappers start coming in and it went crazy. Everything was about the DJ. Everything started from the DJ. So the DJs had the system, they had the turntables, they had the records, and they had the microphone. And they would give you the microphone if you was good enough and not give it to you if you wasn't good enough. As simple as that, you wasn't messing up a DJ's party. My introduction to Zulu Nation as a word was probably hearing the routine that Flash and them did, the Flash It to the Beat, where they got a part in there, they go, Zulu, Gustavo, Zulu. So that was probably then. And then a little later on, there was a, a guy named Paul Winley. He did the first Super Disco breaks, but he had put out some records with Bam Bada, and, and that was the first time I heard them, you know, like Zulu as kind of music. The Zulu Nation makes his first forays into recording with Tommy Boy, Jazzy Five with a cut called Jazzy Sensation. Then, you know, you had Time Zone, which was the first rock rap combination Wait, you know, two years before Run DMC and Aerosmith, and way before we did the song with Anthrax, you had Dan Bada and Johnny Lydon with Johnny Rotten from the Sex Pistols hook, hook up and make a song called World Destruction. Yeah. 
So in areas of, of, of city radio and local recording, and then later on into the gigantic monster Planet Rock, which song went around the world and helped develop, you know, subcultures and Miami bass and trap music and all that. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I've been there since before the records. I'm listening to the tapes. And so, why they keep screaming this man's name out? Like, a bambata, a what you got to, a Zulu? And then this man controls this whole group of people? Like, you couldn't help but, like, respect that and look up to that. Yo, peace, this is Africa Islam, the son of Bambada, the Prince of Charles, and you're listening to the Zulu Beats. Peace! Africa Islam, who calls itself the son of Bambada, had a show called the Zulu Beats that was on WHBI. The first time I was on the radio, that's how I was on the radio. That was my first introduction, because I wasn't from the Bronx to the old school tapes. I grew up on Long Island, you know, I was a kid of the 70s and, and early 80s, and that was when hip-hop was just starting, and, you know, I was more of a rock and roll guy in, in those days, but there was a lot of crossover. I remember being in a punk bar, hearing, you know, Grandmaster Flash and, you know, the message for the first time, and, you know, just blown away. I love that song, and I love what they were trying to do with that. There was a lot of exposure to a lot of different genres, and it was just fun. I mean, it was it was a fun time. And I remember Bambada; he was a huge presence, you know, even to some kid out on Long Island. But he, you know, you could tell things were changing. You know, things which the culture was changing and the culture was turning. It definitely was a time that a closeted homosexual would not want to come out in hip-hop, right? But it also was a time that that same person, through hip-hop, could have been exposed to homosexual subculture. And what I mean by that is, like, hip-hop was a subculture, and so was, you know, the homosexual community at that time. So we actually used to share a lot of the same clubs, okay? On Thursday, it might be gay night, and on Friday, it's hip-hop night. There were even clubs that had different rooms with different music. One might be some disco, and you the kid gay people in there, but then upstairs they got hip-hop. One's thing, they got, you know, reggae, everybody's coexisting. And it wasn't the way they try to make you feel that hip-hop, oh, was always so homophobic and all of that, even though I don't buy that term. But, but I say all this to say that no, we weren't. No, we weren't. We allowed 
that to coexist with us. The Zulu Nation had elements from many different ethnicities and nationalities within their their organization. And they were a fucking gang. I don't give a fuck what nobody says. They evolved from a gang. So there was still activity that, you know, um, you could get caught up in some gang behavior, you know, if you defied certain codes or whatever it is that they had at that particular point in time. From the time the Zulu Nation started initially, it evolved. It evolved, it went worldwide in the different chapters and in the different components of the Zulu Nation, you had things that, you know, was beyond gang activity that I would just call criminal activity in some of the different chapters. You had criminal activity that was going on, but it was something that was frowned upon in the Zulu Nation. It was not encouraged. Every time we went to the parties, I was always in Van Bader's car. You know, um, he had a driver called, uh, I believe his name was 44, it was an OJ driver. You know, I used to be in the car with him, you know, with Bam. Anytime we go, I always ended up with Bam. My parents didn't mind me being with Bam, you know? They didn't mind not one bit. Not knowing after a time that Bam would come to my house when they weren't home. Bam moved out of Bronx River and he moved up to Baychester. He was like an older brother. So I'm thinking like, I'm gonna call you when I'm on my way. So it was the summertime and I know I wasn't in school because I wouldn't travel that far. And back then, even though I was 13, you still could travel. So I had a girlfriend who lived in that building and I was going to see her, but I said, you know what? Let me go see Bam first. So I called Bam and he was like, yeah, I'm home. And I was like, all right, cool, I'm gonna come and see Bam. I haven't seen him since he moved away from Bronx River. And he opened up the door. You know, I'm thinking that maybe he lives with his mom. I'm not sure. So I felt comfortable that way. So I did come in. He's like, oh, you want some, you know, something to drink, of course, because it's summertime, it's hot. And I said, no. And then I don't remember what initiated it, but I know what happened. Get that monitor, I guess, 82 to 83, somewhere around that time zone, um, mainly at the Roxy's, the dance club that uh, was originally for the for the B-boys and graffiti artists, and you know, everybody wants to look for fame. And uh, yeah, Bang was a DJ there. He used to uh, spin with a DJ for uh, Islam and Jazzy J, Red Alert, the whole, you know, uh, grandfathers of hip hop. I was about, um, I was 15 when I first got into the Roxy's, and then 16 when I started hanging out with them rough, roughly. And he used to go take me to his house up in Baychester, you know, 
uh, in the Bronx. I'm not sure what floor, I think it was the third or fourth floor that he lived in there, but uh, he had records all over his, his house and he had a big uh, TV, floor model TV on the thing. He used to have uh, Betamax and he used to put the cameras on. He had an apartment in River Park Towers, which is known as Roberto Clemente State Park. River Park Towers. The two towers that's in that state park is River Park Towers. He had an apartment there. They used to do jams at Roberto Clemente State Park back in the days. There used to be festivals at this state park years ago. Well, I remember the apartment because we would always drive from High Bridge, which is the West Bronx by Union Stadium, straight up Cedric, to River Park Towers, park in the basement garage, and go up to the 19th floor. You know, I mean, was, his, was it his apartment? I don't know. Was it an apartment for sex? Yes. Was it an apartment for sex with boys? Yes. Did he have more boys up there? Yes. Did I see more boys? Yes. Was I sexually assaulted it? Yes. Five for the right about it? Yes. Voices in order of appearance. Cool DJD. President of the First Division, First Chapter of the Black Spades. Tyrone, the Mixologist. Chuck D, Public Enemy. Daddio, Stetsasonic. Lord Jamar, Brand Nubian. Africa Islam from the Zulu Kings. Michael O'Keefe, Journalist. Troy Star Terrain, Broadcast Journalist. Lord Sharif, former bodyguard to Africa Bambata. Ronald Savage met Bambata around 1979. Bambata would have been 27. Number four met Bambata around 1977. Bambata would have been 20. Number five met Bambata around 1982. Bambata would have been 26. EJ met Bambata around 1980. Bambata would have been 23. And I am your host, Layla Wills, and did all of the reporting. Thank you for listening to this second episode of the limited series, Trapped in a Culture. Please be advised, this is not a full representation of the upcoming film. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information on the upcoming film, visit trappedinaculture.com. Dot com.